Live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 4. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Dark Paranormal. Today we're going to conclude the story of the Demon House, or as we've called this episode, The Portal to Hell. And that title will become evidently clear as we go on, and we finally wrap up the most documented paranormal event in the last few years. But before we get to today's true paranormal experiences... I need to say a big thank you to the people who support the show via Patreon and indeed keep the show going. When you sign up to join the Dark Paranormal Patreon community, not only do you support the show, but you also receive these episodes before everybody else. Not only that, you also get a Patreon-only show each and every week, even in the downtime between seasons, called Dark Bites. Head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal and for this week i need to say a quick thank you to hannah Mila, willie arroyo dawn smith katrin mckee roe wyatt michelle fouché nicole fante lexi nesbitt jody resch dawn smith katrina kilburn hillary talbot justin mclaughlin and terry joe bibby Thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed our classic ghost stories episode for Halloween. And don't forget, if you wish to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. And now, make yourself comfortable. Lower the lights. Leave your disbelief at the door as we conclude the portal to hell. The Demon House. Valerie smiled. Okay, boys, I'd just like to ask a few questions. The seven-year-old began to growl. He turned to his brother, looked deep into his eyes and said in a low, guttural voice, It's time to die. I will kill you. At this, the elder brother's eyes began to bulge. A wide smile formed on his face and he ran at Rosa headbutting her in the stomach and gnashing his teeth. Rosa grabbed the nine-year-old's hands and began saying the Lord's Prayer. At this, the boy's crooked grin returned, and he walked backwards until he reached the wall, and then carried on up the wall to the ceiling, keeping his eyes fixed on his grandmother, saliva dropping from his upside-down lips to the floor. He then flipped and landed on his feet, silently glaring at Rosa. Whilst deciding the best way to proceed, the worker who witnessed this act decided it would be best to take Latoya's children into care. With her nine-year-old son, following his recent violent outbursts, remaining in hospital for psychiatric evaluation. Last week, this is where we left Latoya. Broken desolate and wondering where she and her family would go from here. Father Magino liked afternoons like this. The bright sun, a cool breeze, just enough to move the hair across his forehead 
as he sits on his back porch bench to settle down with a book. It was little things like this that he enjoyed most about his time as the parish priest of ten years at St. Stephen the Martyr's Church in Merrillville, Indiana. Typical, he thought, as he stood himself back up and placed his book down. The phone that was ringing was his work phone. He had a private line installed too for close friends and family, but that particular ringtone was coming from the phone on which any number of scenarios could be played out. Father, can you pray for my lost dog? That was yesterday's one. Father, could you ask the Lord for help in getting this job interview? That was his best from last week. Little did he know, however, that this phone call was going to land him straight into the demon house folklore. Father Magino? asked the voice. Yes, speaking. I'm the chaplain at the Methodist Hospital. Do you have the time to talk for a while? For the next 30 minutes, Father Magino would listen in disbelief as the chaplain outlined a series of paranormal events, all witnessed by professional staff at the hospital, ending with the final tale of the nine-year-old boy who somehow walked backwards up a wall. Magino was stunned into silence. I... I see, he finally replied. Well, I know how all this sounds, said the chaplain, but, well, I'd like to consider the right of exorcism for the boy, if you would. Father Magino felt his face turn into disdain. A nine-year-old, you say? Nine? Father, I wouldn't even suggest it had I not witnessed what I witnessed. Magino was torn. As part of his clerical training, Demonic acts such as this are discussed, theorised even, but at no point do you truly believe you'll be called to act against them so literally. Rehashing his year-old learnings on the topic quickly in his brain, Magino finally responded, Well, I'll need to do an investigation first. Rule out any sort of mental health issues, abuse, trauma. Of course, replied the chaplain. I wouldn't expect anything less. And so, following Mass that Sunday, Father Magino arranged to interview Latoya and Rosa at their Carolina Street home. He stood on the doorstep, said a quick St. Patrick's breastplate prayer for protection, took a deep breath and knocked on the porch door. Inside, the priest and the two women sat facing each other, a small coffee table in between them. Father Magino began. So, he said, readjusting his seating position. To clarify, I've been asked to do a cursory investigation about some of the claims that have been made. Rosa interrupted. Forgive me, Father, but these aren't claims. These things are as real as I'm sat here right now. Of course, of course, said the priest calmly. I apologise. I'm not denying your experience. I... I just need to establish some facts. The timeline of things. How it all escalated to get to this point where I'm sat in front of you right now. For the next hour or so, Father Magino scribbled notes as Latoya and her mother regaled their paranormal experiences. Sometimes correcting each other on dates and times, but never on the detail of each event, which was seemingly scorched into their brains. 
Latoya finally got up to the most recent event. And that takes us up to last week at the hospital. We went to see our visit. All three turned as a light from the bathroom began blinking on and off. The priest stood and walked over to where the light was and... The light turned on, no longer blinking. Faulty bulb, smiled the priest as he walked back to the chair. Again, Father Magino looked across at the two women, who reached a hand to each other to hold. The priest stood and again walked over and... The light turned fully on again. I'd get that changed, he said, waving a finger towards the room and sitting back down. The priest didn't stand this time. This time, he felt a pang of panic in his stomach. This seemed intelligent. He'd wondered if his feet had maybe caused pressure on wiring under the floorboards, but he'd yet to come across the house where ceiling lighting was wired via the floor. The light turned itself off. The three sat in uncomfortable silence. The only sound the scribbling of the priest's pen into his journal as he wrote light times three. Things in threes were always a red flag. If, and it was always a big if, if the demonic was at play, then things happening in threes was often a mockery of the Holy Trinity. Finally, Latoya managed to describe the happenings of the previous week, bringing the priest fully up to date. Magino scribbled one final time and then closed his journal. He was about to begin his summization when, just over Rose's shoulder, something caught his eye. The pull of the Venetian blind had begun slowly moving from left to right, not in a general swing, but as if held and slowly swung each way with reason. The women noticed the distraction. Rosa immediately began praying under her breath. Father Magino stood and approached the kitchen when something glistening on the floor caught his eye. On closer inspection, he found himself unconsciously making the sign of the cross, as there, on the floor, just like Latoya had described earlier, were a series of barefooted wet footprints heading off to the area of the Venetian blind. Something crossed the mind of the priest. This wasn't the story. He wasn't here to investigate a haunted house. He was here to discuss the allegedly possessed nine-year-old boy several miles away in hospital. Whatever was attacking the sun was clearly either only showing a part of its power or was part of some diabolical collective. Unsure of his next steps, Magino decided to try something. Something which may give an indication of what the family were up against. He walked to his bag and retrieved a prayer cross. I'd just like to bless you both, he said to Rosa and then her daughter. Rosa nodded fervently. Latoya, however, showed no expression. He placed the crucifix against Rosa's forehead and mumbled a prayer of blessing. Rosa closed her eyes as he did so. Next, he moved to Latoya. He placed the crucifix against her forehead and... Latoya's eyes started to flicker. Her body convulsed as if in spasm and she fell from the settee. The impact as she hit the floor seemingly shaking her from whatever state she was about to enter. 
Rosa, with wide-eyed concern, helped her daughter back to the couch. What just happened? asked Latoya. Her mother just rubbed her back and told her it was okay. Father Magino, still unsure what was taking place here, but convinced it was demonic, told the mother and daughter he would bless each room of the house, but until he'd sought advice, they should think about leaving the premises for their own safety. Rosa and Latoya moved in with relatives immediately the same day. However, there was one pressing issue. Department for Child Services investigator Valerie Washington had arranged for a house visit that week to establish the safety of the house before giving consideration if the children could go back to Latoya. Given Latoya's recent experience with the priest's crucifix in her home, Rosa decided it would be best if she met Valerie at the house for the review. Rosa watched as Valerie parked across the street, and she continued to watch with some concern as a Gary, Indiana police car pulled up behind her. Valerie waited for the officers to join her before crossing the street. Why the police? asked Rosa, concerned this was overkill. Well, it's standard procedure in these cases, Mrs. Campbell, replied Washington. The officers seemed almost embarrassed to have to accompany on this type of case. Austin, the police captain, especially so. He'd drawn the short straw due to a staffing shortage, but thankfully managed to convince a colleague from the neighbouring Hammond Police Department to tag along. The two men nodded at Rosa as they walked past her and into the house. Valerie walked ahead, looking into each room and writing down her findings when she came to the open wooden door in the kitchen. And this goes... Rosa sucked in her breath and stuck out her chest. To the basement, and that's where it all comes from. The Hammond officer looked over at Captain Austin. Austin had given him a very brief description of the story behind this particular care case. The alleged possession. The apparent haunted house. In truth... This was part of the reason the Hammond officer was keen to tag along. It was a slow work week and this could be fun. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savoury tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Valerie led the way down into the concrete floor basement. Um, what is this? She asked as she took photos for her report of the table with the white cloth, the religious statues, the salt circles on the floor. Rosa lifted her chin and defiantly said, It's an altar. We tried what we were told to do to get rid of the demons. I don't know. It just seemed to make things worse. Valerie almost shook her head. She didn't like keeping people's kids from them, but she was blown away that they hadn't even attempted to hide all of this. Captain, can you make a record of this, please? She asked before stepping to the side to allow the person behind her past. Sorry, she said, turning to the person behind her. But when she looked, 
there was no person to be seen. A chill went down her spine. Meekly, the two officers snapped around the basement on their mobile phones. The basement recorded. The group headed upstairs for an audio interview with Rosa. Captain Austin, as he tended to do for this type of affair, peeled the cellophane off a new cassette in full view of everyone so as to rule out any tampering, and he inserted it into the recording machine. He then done the same with the newly bought batteries, loading them into the machine like bullets in a gun. Okay, said Valerie, I need you to answer these questions honestly. Miss Campbell, your grandchildren were taken into the care of the state because your daughter... I'm sorry, interrupted Captain Austin. I'm sorry the machine stopped recording. It says the batteries are dead. But... I've just watched you put new ones in, said Valerie. Austin shrugged. The Hammond officer pulled out his recorder. Don't worry, I always carry a backup, he said, swapping the tape from one machine into the other. Valerie continued with the interview. However, she only got around five minutes in before, once again, the batteries died. Frustrated and, in truth, slightly afraid, Valerie explained that she would transcribe Rosa's responses instead for the remainder of the interview. Back at Gary Police Station, the Hammond officer ready to finish his day. He took the tape out of the recorder and placed it into the station recorder to play back and transcribe the five minutes of audio that he caught. Pausing as he went, he wrote out the conversation. Suddenly, something made his ears prick up. He rewound the tape. There it was again. Calling in Captain Austin, the two men stood and listened to Valerie's voice ask a question. Rosa replied and... Play that again, asked Austin. Once more they heard Valerie's question. They heard Rosa's reply and... The two men looked at each other. Who the hell was that? asked Austin. His colleague just shrugged. This led Austin, almost begrudgingly, to bring his phone out of his pocket. Well, I was hoping this was just a glitch, he said, bringing up his photographs of the basement. In the background of three of the pictures were figure-shaped silhouettes, loitering on the back wall of the room. The Hammond officer then fumbled to get his phone out. He hadn't yet looked over his photographs of the house. He excitedly thumbed through them, before stopping. Shit, he said, showing Austin his screen. On the screen, a white mist could be seen on the stairs that wasn't there when they were present. Using his thumb and finger to zoom in, Austin's blood ran cold. Two distinctly human faces could be seen jutting through the mist. Driving home that evening, Austin's mind raced with the things they'd seen. He didn't believe in the paranormal. At least, he didn't think he did. But this was... He glanced down to his old police radio. He turned it off as he always did when leaving for the day. He switched it on and off again, hoping to resolve whatever the issue was. Glancing from the road to the radio, Austin shook his head and told himself to calm down. He was just spooking himself out. Austin's passenger seat slid back a force, 
slamming on its iron casters and causing Austin to swerve, just missing an oncoming truck. The case around Latoya's children continued to roll on. New people brought onto the case decided that the children's behaviour was largely indicative of both bad parenting and attention-seeking. However, the practical aspects of the case still needed to be documented, and one of those aspects was to carry out a follow-up appointment at the family home. Valerie made herself unavailable for the visit. She later went on record to say she would never set foot in the house again. Her replacement, Samantha Illich, was once again joined by Rosa and the police officers from the first visit, together with a police dog. However, this time, the group also included Latoya and Father Maginot. The group let the dog off the lead first. However, the canine didn't show much of an interest in the main level of the house. It did, however, begin to paw at the door in the kitchen, which led to the basement. Samantha Illich, doing her best to keep the visit as professional as possible, led the group down into the basement. They spaced out around the area as each arrived on the lower floor. A dripping sound drew Illich's attention. She looked over and found a strange, viscous substance emerging from the left side wall. Reaching out, she touched the strange substance with her little finger. A bizarre mix of stickiness and greasiness. She wiped it off and began taking notes. The altar had been removed from the first visit, which, in a cold, hard professional view, was only a good thing. Valerie had mentioned this to Samantha, and although the removal bade well for Latoya, Samantha was a touch disappointed she didn't get to see it for herself. Meanwhile, Father Maginot took Captain Austin to one side. In a low voice, he said, Captain, I don't know what your thoughts are on what's happening here, but over there... He nodded towards a patch of dirt under the stairs. The police dog was sniffing and scratching the area. The priest continued. Well, I'd like to have a quick check there for things. Well, things like what, Father? asked Austin. Symbols, pentagrams. I know it sounds silly, I know. But I think that area is a portal to some kind of evil. Unaware of the paranormal experiences Captain Austin had experienced after his last visit, the priest was taken aback when Austin responded. It doesn't sound silly at all, Father. Something's not right here. A cursory look over the area by Father Magino didn't uncover anything. But because the dog continued to be interested in the area, this gave Captain Austin reasonable cause, so he could carry out a more thorough search. And he asked his colleague to fetch his shovel from the car. Of the things which raced through Austin's mind, mainly down to what he experienced, he sincerely wouldn't have been surprised if something evil was buried here. He genuinely believed they could find anything from a cursed item to a human body. And so the officers dug a four-foot-deep hole, a false fingernail, white underwear, a pin badge, some torn socks, and a piece of metal, seemingly a weight for some curtain ties. Reaching a dead end, the officers filled in the hole and Father Maginot 
poured some blessed salt on it, claiming that it would act as a supernatural barrier against evil. Meanwhile, upstairs, strange things were taking place. Firstly, Samantha Illich's finger had turned white. She rubbed it at the end and was filled with pain, as if the bone was trying to force its way out of the skin. She sat down and blew on her hand, shaking her fingers to get some circulation going. However, she instantly felt like someone had gripped her around the chest. Out of nowhere, she felt suffocated and ran from the house to get some air. She was soon joined by Latoya and Rosa. Latoya found she couldn't focus correctly and was filled with an intense headache whenever she caught sight of Father Magino. Back inside, an officer noticed a strange oil on the bedroom blinds in one of the rooms. This officer was sceptical of the whole affair, and so he wiped it clear, closed the door, and stood outside guard. A few moments later, he went back in and found, much to his horror, fresh oil dripping down the blind. On hearing of this, Father Magino stated this was a definite sign of demonic infestation, and he demanded they call an end on proceedings. Outside, as the sun was setting, Captain Austin pulled the priest to one side and thanked him for ending the investigation. Father, I've been on the force 30 years. I've seen it all. Murder, rape, you name it. But there's no way... I would have stayed in that house after dark. Father Magino nodded. He knew what his next course of action would have to be. A phone call to the Bishop of Gary, Indiana, Dale Melksek. In his 21 years of service, Bishop Melksek had never granted an exorcism. Until now. In a rare move, the Bishop authorised Father Magino to carry out the major rite of exorcism, on Latoya Campbell. And so, one dark winter's night at his empty parish church, he pressed his crucifix into the forehead of Latoya Campbell. I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy and all your fallen companions, in the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Latoya was racked with pain. She convulsed and writhed about on the floor, but then, calmly, fell asleep. The exorcism itself took its toll on Father Magino, so much so he needed to go to a retreat to recuperate. Prior to going, however, he had a slight feeling that the fight wasn't totally over, and he conveyed his concerns to a holy sister who'd assisted with the exorcism. She advised him to rest and said that she had a plan should Latoya complain of further happenings in the priest's absence. She took a pen, and she wrote a very long word on some paper. She then sealed it in an envelope, and said, In this envelope is the name of an all-powerful demon. Should Latoya reach out for assistance, I shall burn it, unopened, and all shall be well. It came to pass that Latoya did contact the parish in the following weeks, as she was plagued with nightmares. And so, the Holy Sister took the envelope and burnt it, gathering the ashes to be disposed of within the church grounds. 
Latoya's demons apparently left her that same day. And soon, she found a new home, regained custody of her children, and is currently enjoying her second chance at a new beginning. What then of the demon house? Well, as you may already know, not one to miss the paranormal zeitgeist. One Zach Bagans purchased the home sight unseen. He would go on to film the hit documentary film Demon House inside Latoya's former home and subsequently demolish the entire house on the basis it was too evil and too dangerous to be left standing. Although rumours abound it was actually as he was in competition with a film studio who'd bought the right to Latoya's story and he wanted to ensure the final documented footage of the house belonged to Zach Bagans. I guess we'll never know the truth. One thing we do know is due to the large amount of official documentation from people in professional careers, police officers, doctors, clergymen, that little house on Carolina Street remains one of the most officially haunted places on record. Once again, thank you for choosing to spend your time with us here on The Dark Paranormal. We'll be back next week with what is already the penultimate episode for Season 4. So, that only means one thing. Be sure to get your stories in now to be featured in Season 5 when we revert back to true listener experiences. The email address to send those on to is, of course, thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. Okay, so until next week, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always leave your disbelief on the coat hook. And I'll see you next time on The Dark Paranormal. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.